0: All right, uh, hello, I'm Greg Green, and this is episode three of Cathonica, uh the show about horror fiction in all its frightful forms. My guest today is, I suspect, responsible for introducing readers to more horror writers than anyone else in the last 40 years. She's been editing science fiction, fantasy, and horror short fiction for four decades, from Omni Magazine in the 80s to Tor.com and its horror imprint, Nightfire Today. She's edited over 100 anthologies in her career, including Lovecraft's Monsters, Fearful Symmetries, Echoes, the saga anthology of ghost stories, and of course, her annual series, The Best Horror of the Year. She's won more awards than we have time to name, but they do include Lifetime Achievement Awards from both the World Fantasy Convention and the Horror Writers Association. Her new book hits shelves on September 28. It's called When Things Get Dark, Stories Inspired by Shirley Jackson. She's master editor and anthologist and empress of horror fiction, Ellen Datlow. Ellen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I know you yes. can't see me waving. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, you can, but they can't. <laughs>
0: well, we'll put it on YouTube and some people will definitely see you uh, waving and then the, the podcast folks um, uh, okay. will know you are indeed waving. So, yes. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, thank you uh, for joining me today. Um, let's just let's start off with your storied career. Um, how many stories do you think you've read over the years as an editor?
1: Hundreds. I I can't even imagine because don't forget every year for the best of the year I read hundreds, so thousands.
0: (laughs) Hundreds just for the annual best of the year. Yeah, sure.
1: I mean, yeah. Um, Of, I used to have an honorable mention list that was pages long. In the book, oh,
0: yes, yes, I remember. But my it. editors
1: started always complained that you're I was using all the pages <laughs> for this, and I should stop. So I think I only picked the top fifty now, yes. yeah. And exactly. I have the rest in my blog. I kind of post them once a year, yes. Uh, and those don't forget—that's like a, a tiny percentage of what I read
2: that's because right.
1: I do not because not everything goes on there. Only things that I actually like and think are worthwhile putting on that recommended list. Mm-hmm. So. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> and
0: of course your career is, is really editing short fiction. Um, right. Sure. Uh, how many novels do you get to in a year?
1: Not many. Okay. I mean, hand, like, I think maybe I cover 10 or 15. Oh but my ne- goodness. No, but, still. but I mean, no, no, but I mean, not necessarily covering them. I mean, I do a mini review of the things of some of the novels in my year's best. And then some I just put as also noted, um, so those are not all read, but some of them are, but not, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe 10. Yes. Let's say. Yes. Well, 15 the most, but that's during the year. Yeah. The whole year, which is not many novels really.
0: For, <laughs> I'd say for most people, maybe not Sadie Hartman, but for most people that's probably a lot a pretty good number of novels. Well, um, how long does it take once you start in on a story that's been submitted to you? How long does it take until, you know, this is a great story. This is worthy of an anthology uh, how far do you have to get in? And conversely, how long does it take to determine if a story is not high quality or it's not a fit for one of your anthologies?
1: Rejecting a story is much quicker than mm. saying yes. Um, I can tell, from, depending on what I'm reading for, I might realize the story is just not my cup of tea. I mean, there's certain types of stories I'm just not interested in and I can usually tell within a page. Wow, um, And that doesn't mean the story is necessarily bad. It's just not something for me, for whatever venue I'm reading for. As far as picking a story for whatever thing I'm reading for, um, if it's someone who I've worked with before, I can usually tell pretty quickly if, it's, if I'm going to love it yes uh, but then you hope that they don't screw it up even the, the most <laughs> experts the people i work with so many things you're still hoping it's going to live up to the beginning and yes. the middle and it's not going to screw up the end
0: yeah you know, the end
1: is not going to screw up um and uh, of course i'm editing novellas now too for or acquiring some novellas for tour.com it's a novella program and night night fire program which yes. is our rm print and that well, it's same. I mean, if it's something that I'm I'm reading a novella and I realize I'm not getting involved in it, if I'm not drawn in pretty quickly, I'm probably either I'm I'll realize I don't have the concentration and the focus I need right now to work on this to mm. rec- read it and appreciate it, or I'll realize I just don't like it. Yes. You know, and that I have to make that judgment. How tired I am. I. It's like you know, do I really want to read a novella like at midnight? start a novella probably not yes
2: yes
1: (laughs) um but on the other hand if it's great i'll still be involved and you know want to continue reading it um and the novella program is different i mean i can take for the short fiction i can buy what i choose to (laughs) without anyone's approval for the novellas it goes to a committee that decides whether it's going to sell or not as a book so Uh, i may like something a lot and then i have to if i love it I'll pass it on to my boss, Irene Gallo and uh, Lee Harris, and I'm not sure who else reads them. And, you know, maybe Davey Pillai, I guess, probably, but whoever, you know, makes the decisions for the novella program will decide whether they think it'll sell, you know, the the marketing. And I may, and there are things that I've liked a lot that they said no to, and that's okay. You know, you learn over the years, one thing I've learned 40 years in the business, especially starting at Omni, you have to let go of things. You have to let go. Mm. If you don't, if you can't buy a story for whatever reason, you can't agonize over it. You have to just get through it. You know, it's like, okay, I couldn't buy that. They wouldn't let me buy it for whatever reason. Just get over it. Even if it wins all the awards, then you can just yes. bang your head against the wall. But still, <laughs> yeah.
0: Dude, I wonder when you uh, when you look at a story, in particular for let's say a themed anthology, are you are are you trying to do? You read those stories as yourself. Or do you read those stories with some sort of a persona of the person you think most was most interested in that particular theme? For like, I, I think you've got one coming up about body horror, for example. Right. Do you shock, think, yeah. what does the body horror read? Absolutely not, okay. no, so no, It's no. gotta impress it Ellen It's gotta impress
1: me. And yes. I mean, I consider myself the quote unquote, ideal reader, mm. for what I'm looking for. Yes. And I'm not reading to please other people. I hope that other readers who buy the, will buy the book or will read the story on tour.com mm-hmm. um, will appreciate what I've chosen. Yeah. But I read for myself,
0: yes. essentially. And, and clearly that works because, you, you know, uh, uh, there's, your name is on these anthologies as the editor, the curator, of course, in a sense. And um, there's even a book that you published, I think in the last, maybe in the last year, called Edited by... And it's, it's a, I guess it's about, you know, it's, it's stories that you have pulled together into various uh, anthologies over the years. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that, yeah, m- treating, thinking of yourself as the ideal reader uh, is resonating with a whole lot of people because, you know, people well, buy books because you're on oh,
1: it. I just want to back, not backtrack, sidetrack so a little bit on that. Yeah. Um, I would never have approached a publisher to do that. Yes. Bill Schaefer at Subterranean suggested it. I mean, to me, it's such an egotistical kind of thing. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I said, "Really, you want me to do that? Why would anyone care?" Like, really? But I, but I said, "Okay, if you want to do, if you think it'll sell, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Yes. Why not?"
2: Yes. You know,
1: yeah. And it was only for anthologies. It's not for any of my magazine work. I mean, that would be, I think, probably impossible because that's too much. <laughs> yes. I mean, as it is, I mean, even just going through all my original, I had to rethink. You know to make a list like see all my original anthologies and then figure out which stories i wanted to use yes. and they needed to be stories as far as i was concerned that weren't reprinted overly much
2: gotcha and that gotcha. i hadn't
1: you know th- and there are a lot of stories that i've reprinted a lot because i love them yes. and i had to try not to do that because otherwise it'd be like my other books mm-hmm. like the other reprint anthologies i've done for tachyon like darkness two decades of modern horror mm-hmm. or um uh nightmares a new decade of modern, of horror. I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> and then also the best of the best for um for Nightshade, my best of the year publisher. So yeah, so um
0: this this little tome that. right here published yeah. in I so, think it was 2018. Um and, and, that, and yeah, I, I had
1: to make sure it didn't take anything from my two tachyon books for that.
0: Gotcha. And, and so yeah this is funny. really like I, I think, uh, in terms of the best of, um, best horror of the year series, you're, you're going to be, you're working now on, what is it? Volume 13? 14, thirteen's
1: coming out in November or December. I thought it was coming out okay. December. I just looked at, it. it looks like it's coming out in November, but I'm not sure.
0: So but, you're already uh, working on 14. I'm
1: on, working on, oh yeah, that's what I'm working on now and I'm way behind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because okay. I've been working on another anthology.
0: Yes. Uh, uh so the best of the best horror of the year I, a couple of years ago when i wanted to like kind of you know dip my toes back in the water of horror fiction and figure out like who's who's really doing what these days what's what's very contemporary um i got the audiobook version of this and it introduced me to so many people who are now my favorite writers i, I imagine you hear that a lot though Sometimes a, as an anthologist.
1: I'm curious how was the audio? I never listened to audio, so I have no idea how it, it
0: was. It was out. a collection okay. of many different readers. I think probably Audible took um uh, you know the recordings from a number of other works, would be my guess, and put it together. Um oh,
1: maybe I don't know.
0: I remember I, it being I, I think
1: that would be more difficult to do it that way. I don't know, I, I don't know that process.
0: I, I think clear. it would, but I believe it was a different reader for every story. That was, um okay. yeah. Uh, I'd have to go back and check. It's been it's been a while since I read it, but um, generally, my experience with most horror audio books coming from Audible, in particular, it's it's very good. In some cases, it's stellar. Um, uh, my best experience I've mentioned this on Twitter a lot is the Imago sequence and the beautiful thing that awaits us all, both by Laird Barron. Those those two short story collections, um, uh, narrated by Ray Porter, and who's who is an actor, and he really digs into the stories and has different voices uh, for the different narrators um, but on the best of the best horror yeah it's a great collection of stories the readers are excellent um but they're just like the, it's, it's like the bourbon of of horror anthologies it is mm-hmm. so much good stuff from those first 10 volumes of the best of horror uh, but, but yeah uh, you must hear people say hey ellen you have introduced me to some of my favorite authors in your yes anthology. i
1: hear that occasionally
0: sure okay Good, good. I I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you've made a career in genre fiction. Much of that is horror. What drew you and what keeps you in horror?
1: Well, I've been reading horror since I was a kid, Mm -hmm. um, along with science fiction and fantasy, but I always liked horror a lot. I mean, what. it And so it just carried on. Um, I didn't edit much horror when I was at Omni because we weren't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to be Mm -hmm. editing horror. I was supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. science fiction and some fantasy, but I have always been drawn to dark fiction. I don't know why. I mean, Mm -hmm. people say, why do you like horror? It's like, I don't know. I just love it. You know, why? (laughs) Um, I have to have a reason. (laughs) Um, But then I was starting, I started to do more horror for Omni, but also, when I started doing anthologies I deliberately chose to try to do anthologies that wouldn't conflict with my job at Omni so I tried that's why I kind of got into horror because of that partly Mm. um, because it wasn't a conflict because I wasn't supposed to be buying horror for Omni so that's how I started being more of an editor of horror Mm. and then Mm. um Jim Frankel approached me and Terry Windling about doing a year's best fantasy and horror.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, after, I mean, I had known Jim and I had published Blood is Not Enough, which was my first half original, half reprint anthology mm-hmm. on vampirism. And that was my first, that and Alien Sex were my two first, like half originals, half reprint anthology. Mm-hmm. Only sex with science fiction, but dark. Anyway, Jim approached me and Terry about doing this fantasy and horror thing, and no one had ever done that before. No one ever has since. Wow! Um, And to me, I said, "Okay, sure. You know, it's like on this continuum from fantasy to dark fantasy to horror. Sure, I don't see why not." And we didn't read each other's stuff. I mean, she handled fantasy, I handled horror, and occasionally we picked the same story and independently of each other and Jim told us because we weren't looking at what we were doing or we'd meet and we'd say hey I picked that story you should read it I think you'll like it and we would both comment on it um so I mean that's how I got got into editing horror you know and and doing more anthologies of
0: horror. so and when you would meet with um uh, with your colleagues to talk about stories were were you like you know, down in like a dark room with candles and kind <laughs> no, of in the basement I mean, of an old I mean Carrie
1: I mean, doesn't like horror at all. She doesn't read it <laughs> And we only met like once a, once a year if we were yes. lucky. We never lived in the same. I mean, she did live in Manhattan, but not when I, not, I didn't know her then. She mm-hmm. was living in Massachusetts and then she was living in Arizona and England.
2: Mm-hmm. So oh, wow.
1: we, only, we were lucky we met once a year.
0: Yeah. yeah. We'd
1: have lunch, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was it.
0: I imagine a lot of business kind of of that kind of business stuff's happening at the occasional horror convention. Or well, now it's different. Convention. I mean,
1: that, but then there was no email. I mean, there was no email. Yes. There was no yeah. interest then when we started. Um, so it was just, yeah, you meet each other. And Jim was our packager. I mean, he packaged mm-hmm. the entire book. So he actually decided on the order for that, for those for hmm. 20, how many? Terry and I did 19 volumes, I think, or something mm-hmm. like that. With 16 volumes. And then Gavin and Gavin Grant and Kelly Link did, I think, four volumes with me. So I think we had 21 total. I can't remember. Um, But yeah, I mean, we didn't really confer. It was totally independent. Uh, And we just happened to have lunch and mentioned that, oh, yeah, you know, they might want to read
0: the story. That must have been um, really interesting to work with Kelly. I I imagine you worked with her very early in her. Career as a published as a short story writer, maybe before well, really she started publishing.
1: Um I had gotten stories from her. Um actually she was friendly. I'm blanking on his name, and I can see his face. She had a friend <laughs> who was publishing some of her work in a small press, <laughs> and he sent me, he was acting as her. Agent, but not really. But he yeah. was sending a couple of his stories, early, very early stories at Omni. And they were totally not right for Omni. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I
1: sure so I encouraged her. The first stories I bought from her were for Event Horizon, the one in a mm. year, uh, the website that my former colleagues from Omni and I put together for like a year and a half. And um, I published the specialist hat and girl detective. Those are the first things of hers I published. Yes. And um I don't know. I mean, she had published several of the stories before that, mm-hmm. but those were the first I published.
2: Yes. You know? Yes. But
1: again, I never, you know, we didn't work together on the years yeah. best. You yeah. know, we didn't start like at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although Kelly liked more horror. Than, Gavin doesn't like horror at all. <laughs> Kelly likes horror. So she and I might have dovetailed a little more on our tastes.
0: Yes, yes. Well, tell me, um as an editor, when you're looking at various stories, what in your mind, what distinguishes a great horror writer from a good one?
1: It's more story by story. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, if someone hits a home run every time, then they're probably a great horror writer. Yeah. But I think, I would say that, I mean, I judge it by each individual story. Mm-hmm. I think there are some great stories by some writers and they're good stories by the same writers mm. um, mm-hmm. you know it's hard to have a great story each time you write something yeah. or public something and you know my opinion is different from other people's opinion yeah. you know I may think something's a great story and I love it but other people don't even you know that leaves them cold which is always you know when it is a an interesting phenomenon when when I buy something and I think it's going to be terrific and I hope it gets a lot of attention and no one pays attention to that story at all
2: mm-hmm. not
1: at all nothing yes. no content at all and yet another story that I think is okay but not brilliant gets a lot of attention so I mean obviously a lot of this is subjective
2: yes yes
1: uh, I mean yes there are the occasional stories that hit everyone that everyone loves this one story that yes it's great it's brilliant
0: well yeah. what are for those stories that that you would say, as an editor who's read much horror fiction, um, and looking at some stories too that that just have received both um, critical and popular acclaim, mm-hmm. um, what are some common attributes of those stories? What what makes the story a horror story great? Are there is it's there a, common a, combina- type it's of a
1: combination? It's a combination. It's make it, what makes any story great. Mm-hmm. The combination of the perfect voice, the tone the storytelling or rather the plotting Mm -hmm. um, where it takes place, the description. I'm a very visual reader Mm -hmm. and I have, I see everything I read. And if I can't, I have a problem with that. I'll probably tell Uh, you all do something, you know, I can't see this what's going on here.
0: Interesting. Uh,
1: And uh, it's all the elements coming together perfectly. And then also the, for the horror aspect, a strong sense of unease and ickiness sometimes, but not always, a queasiness, yeah. but a discomfort and a dissociation yes. from the normal, from Interesting. the norm. So Interesting. it's a combination of everything hitting on the right track. Do you have a- I'm mixing metaphors, but anyway. Yeah, want to <laughs> okay. the right yeah.
0: You, you, you caught yourself there. The editor <laughs> caught herself mixing metaphors. So you're, you're on your toes for sure. Um, do you have a story that- just as an example, you would say, well, here's like the gold standard. This is one that meets all of these things that make a great story that yeah, you, that you of, share with people. Those are
1: the stories that I reprint over and over again. If yeah. you find a story that I've published that I reprinted multiple times, that is a story that I personally love and think is brilliant.
0: And one one example Simple. would be?
1: Um, the Sea Was What Is What Can Be by Gay and Wilson, which is a takeoff on this on uh, The Walrus and the Carpenter
0: huh, by interesting. Yes,
1: and First reprinted it in um, Blood is Not Enough,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I just think it's terrific. How I mean, many times it, 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 do you
0: think you've reprinted it?
1: At least two or three.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, that time was the first time I reprinted I can't. I don't even know what was originally published. I just realized. I don't know where. It re- I'd have to look it up. I don't know where it was originally published. But I put it in Blood is Not Enough, and I'm can't remember but i know i've, I've used it at least I, one other time probably <laughs> um another one is the transfer by ed bryant which is in my body horror anthology and that okay. was not that was also a reprint i don't know where that was first published but I re- I've reprinted that more than once, probably on Sci-Fiction. And I also, I think we'll see what, what can be. I probably sci- reprinted on Sci-Fiction when I was doing reprints.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another one is, um, I can never remember the title. It's the one by Garth Nix. Uh, Something Corsham, Shay Corsham. It's three random words. Huh. <laughs> Which is why I can never remember it. Oh, Shay Korsham Worsted, something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I originally published that someplace. Where did I originally publish it? Huh. It might have been in Fiercial Cemeteries, but I can't swear to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So or Inferno. it was in one of my original anthologies, and I've reprinted that multiple times. I really, and they just hit me the right way. Um, I'm trying to think of others. I'm right I'm offhand, I can't, but I mean, there are plenty of others. You no, know, that's
0: that. a great list there. Um, do, uh, just thinking about your relationship or your interest in horror, do you um, enjoy horror in any other medium movies, comics, poetry, music, theater? I mean, you've got Sweeney Todd and the woman in I black. I like Sweeney
1: Todd. I mean, yeah. I never liked Women in Black. I always thought huh. it was very spirit. It just kind of like was obvious to me.
0: Yeah. But yeah. I love
1: Sweeney Todd. I've yes. seen it multiple times. Um, wow. I think it's terrific. I don't go to that many horror movies. I'm very picky on my horror. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the, I saw the car, car on the other hand, oh, ah, when I watched the thing, the original one. Yes. When I watched it, we had three or four TV stations. One of them was 11 and one was 9, 11, and 13. 13 yeah. didn't really, but there was 9 and 11. And I watched, it was on probably a million dollar movie, which was, I think on Channel 9. And it was always fuzzy. So and I assumed it was the bad connection because we had that was on channel 9 or 11 yeah. or whatever. And then I actually saw a print of it. I actually went to film forum and they had you know brand new print of it and it was fuzzy. That was how it was made. Huh.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> so it was the, very the, the mean, John was, Carpenter version.
1: No, no, the original. One.
0: Oh, the original no, black the original and white, right? James
1: With James Orness as a carrot, yes. Yes, yes.
0: I gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) No,
1: I meant the original one. No, but when I saw the John Carpenter one, I saw that in a preview um, at a small screening room. I have not been able to watch that one again. I thought it was fabulous. I think it's brilliant. But I keep wanting to watch it again and I can't bring myself to do it. One of these years I will because it was so horrifying to me. Okay, gotcha, I mean, it was just so appalling. It was so hard to watch. Yes. It's hard for me to decide to actually watch it again
0: uh, because it's so gruesome and it's it's frightening and all but uh, t- is there any concern that it won't live up to your oh, memory absolutely not of it? I'm
1: sure it will okay. oh i know in fact i read an article about it uh, i can't remember probably primaries or you know some uh, i don't know where exactly i mean there was an exegesis of it and i wanted to, it made me want to watch it again but i'm not sure i can bear it
0: Yes. Yes. Well, uh, it, you know, I'm I'm in the uh, you know a lot of the horror film circles on Twitter in particular, and it's just up there at the you know number one, number two, number three on everybody's sure. list. Sure. And uh, I think it's I held up Alien. very well.
1: I watched Alien several times, and each time gets me, but I love
0: yes. it. Uh, it's uh, like uh, Alien, and Exorcist, and The Thing tend to, and, and The Shining tend to be at that top. I hated it. I hate it. Really,
1: he ruined it. He ruined it. Kubrick ruined it
0: because you you were already bought in i, I the read book. the book
1: well okay. i read the novel and he changed it drastically in yes. Yes. ways and i hated what he did with it i thought he he basically killed a character off who was a hero yeah in the book and i really resent that
0: <laughs> what you about know? the, the I mean, doctor sleep and uh, also
1: the other thing about that is that it wasn't maybe they couldn't do it then because they didn't have the right cgi or something but instead of a, topiary he made a maze or was it the vice versa i can't remember yeah, but it the, was a
0: maze yeah he had a maze
1: in the movie or in the book
0: in the movie that's on well, the
1: book of the topiary which is much better interesting
0: so. <laughs> have you <laughs> seen mike flanagan's doctor sleep because he tries to he wrestles yeah. in the movie doctor sleep he wrestles with the novel of the shining and and the oh, novel the doctor sleep uh oh. and he also he also i think i think flanagan is trying to address people who love the novel and people who love the movie. Um, it's its very interesting. Um, well, I
1: haven't read the book. Dr. Sleep doesn't matter. Seeing the movie. I, I haven't
0: I... read the novel, so I'm not sure. But uh, oh, I thought the so movie... Then it doesn't
1: matter. Oh, if yeah. you think the movie works without having read the novel. Yeah, I, I
0: think the movie works. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I was I like, I mean, I mean there are other it.
1: horror movies I've liked. I like The Duke. I like... Uh, oh, yeah. Personal Shopper is terrific. Yeah,
0: the Kristen it's Stewart TV. film.
1: Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, I actually liked... Oh, God, the one, Oh, the one with Casey Affleck as a ghost with the sheet over his head.
0: Oh, it's,
1: I it's not ghost story but it's ghost something or other. Yeah, and yeah. it's weird. It is really weird and it does kind of work. I think. I mean, shockingly. I mean, <laughs> oh did you see that? Do you know what I'm talking I about?
0: I know what you're talking about but I haven't seen it.
1: I mean, it's weird. It's yeah. weird and it almost doesn't work, but I think it almost does work. Yes. You know, Because he doesn't say, the ghost doesn't say a word. And what it does is wander around sad about not being with his family anymore.
0: Huh, interesting.
1: So, I mean, it's not horror, but it's very weird. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. The the weird cinema contingent there. Well, let's talk about your book, When Things Get Dark. Um, uh, I assume the title is a reference to one of Shirley Jackson's stories. Is that right?
1: Well, that is weird because when you asked that, I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know where it came up, but I had, a, I looked up my emails. Yes. And because we were wrestling with titles. Yeah. And what I discovered was that someone of, I wrote to my editor, we were wrestling with titles. I I, what I wrote literally a writer friend of mine recommended this title. It was from an essay by Jackson. I do not remember who told me this. I am trying to oh, figure wow. out. Who, I, have no, what friend, I have no idea who told me, who gave me the
0: Okay. Name. So I, friend, if you told, if you recommended me, this late, to Ellen, not, reach out to her.
1: Yeah. It's probably too late for me to put you in the acknowledgements, but I feel really bad and I'll talk, I'll, I'll give you credit verbally if you well, can tell, I've asked a couple of friends who I thought it might be, but so far it's like, nope, I didn't give you that. It's like, well, who gave <laughs> you? but anyway, so it's from an essay she wrote. Apparently. Nice,
0: nice, very good. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about Shirley Jackson, and in particular, what did she bring to the horror genre, and how did how did she push or change or evolve the craft?
1: Well, I think partly. Well, first of all, of course, The Lottery that mm-hmm. was published in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. magazine and got the has gotten the most got the most negative mail mail that any other piece of fiction that they ever published got oh wow and don't forget okay so here it is published in this mainstream magazine mm-hmm. i don't know what they published before if they published much fantasy or anything before that maybe they did i don't remember what date it was published but can you but here it was this story that starts in a normal town a small town in the united states and it's very great it's very short and very gradually you can, it evolves into this horror story.
2: Yes. Into
1: this climactic, horrific event. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just inserting the weird, the horrific into the everyday is what she did um, with that story, anyway, and with other stories, with a, An Ordinary Day of Peanuts. And um, those are the stories that I'm most familiar with and, and most care
0: about mm-hmm. and, um, that's she, interesting she got so much bad I like it, it, the New Yorker got so much negative response to it it, it doesn't because, it, it seems I'm like sure. it falls into that vein of sort of um uh you know Main Street dystopia that like Fahrenheit 451 uh was in How, wh- why do you happen- think that-
1: because it's showing that regular people are horrible
0: wow. yeah. <laughs> because regular
1: yeah. people in a small town are monsters. That's why, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, people think to, like to think of themselves as good people. Yeah. And I'm sure those people in that story consider themselves wonderful people. Mm. And here they are stoning someone to death. You yes, know, yes. because in a ritual they don't even remember. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I can see why everyone got pissed off. But yeah. <laughs> so we're not expecting a horror story anyway. Yes. Um, I mean, I haven't, I'm just starting, I read her biography, which was really interesting the, mm-hmm. by Franklin, but right now I just started reading her letters. You know, I haven't gotten very far yet, but I'm really interested to see. She, she, there's a whole book of letters that she wrote to various people. Yes. Not None of the letters that she received, but all hers. Um, to her her future husband. I mean, the first one was when she was like 17 or 18 and they weren't married yet, her and Stanley. Yeah. And uh, I forget what my point was. But anyway, she was interesting because she was this supposedly, quote, unquote, normal housewife. Yes. I mean, of course, that's not what she was. I mean, she was kind of pushed into this, you know, this little pigeonhole by outsiders but she was not. Um, you know, sh- she wrote some wonderful nonfiction books that I, re- uh, that I read. And one of them might have been filmed, A Life Among the Savages.
2: Mm, yes. Which was about
1: her household. And a lot of them, you know, they're just telling stories about her and her family. She had like four kids, I think. Mm-hmm. Stanley, her husband, was unfaithful throughout their marriage, throughout mm-hmm. their relationship. Um, he was a professor and she respected him. And he was... From the biography, it's hard to say how much he helped or hindered her. I think yes. he encouraged her to some extent. Um, she was not your normal, quote unquote, housewife. Mm-hmm. And the family was when they were in Bennington. They lived a lot of places, but they were mostly in Bennington where Stanley taught. And one of their guests regularly, have a close friend, was Ralph Ellison. Oh, wow. A- yeah. yeah. he. I, I can't remember if he actually wrote some of the book at their place, but he definitely visited a lot and they were good friends. And they were probably a lot of other intellectuals who came to visit, Um, you know, but Stanley was considered the intellectual and, you know, brilliant, you know, I'm sure she considered him brilliant. And, um, but she, her influence was that she injected the weird, not always, I mean, she did mainstream novels too, Mm -hmm. But she injected the weird into everyday life.
2: Mm.
1: And that was something that wasn't done much before that. I mean, I I probably, I'm not a historian. I'm not, you know, I don't know enough about the history of literature of England to know how many other people did that in the United States or Mm -hmm. in England. Um, And I don't know other cultural early cultural traditions either in literature. So I can't judge that, but (laughs) I believe in the States anyway, she was, you know, what's a person who did that.
0: Yes, Um, well, this table of contents is amazing. The authors here, um, uh, M. Rickert, Elizabeth Hand, uh, I think it's, is it Sheenan McGuire? Seanan. Seanan McGuire, Carmen Maria Mercado, Cassandra Caw, John Langan, Karen, I think, I assume it's Hewler. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Karen You're Hewler, who has a Money of the Dead, one of my favorites in here. Uh, Benjamin Percy, Joyce Carol Oates, Richard Cadry, Paul Tremblay, Stephen Graham Jones, Jeffrey Ford, uh, Gemma Files, Josh Mallerman, Genevieve Valentine, Laird Barron, and Kelly Link. I mean, it's a, you you must be living right, Ellen. Uh, that's I have an, a lot of
1: connections, what can I say? That's an amazing
0: <laughs> collection. People,
1: I mean, most of the people I've worked with before um, Yes. If not all of them, I mean, even if oh no, I've actually Benjamin Purse. That was the first time I ever bought anything by him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I ever reprinted anything of his. Year's Best. Um, well, as far, why? I'm sorry. Why,
0: why these authors for this anthology? Kind of well, what was I, your selection criteria?
1: Well, I first of all I thought I asked people if they were influenced by Shirley Jackson. Yes. And that was my big question uh, because it turned out you know, a couple of people I asked who I thought would have said, of course, yeah, no, I wasn't, you know, I never read her or I was never influenced her by it. It's like, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, there were people who partly who I thought some of their writing might've felt like their writing was influenced. Like certainly Kelly. Yes. Kelly Link and um, Carmen Maria Machado, maybe. Um, and Karen Euler. Mm -hmm. and actually m rickert mary rickert too so i mean some of the people it seemed some of the writers seemed obvious to me that they seemed i mean you know you may think someone's influenced by them and they may say well i never read that person so but it felt like they were in the same oh overall tone Mm -hmm. of jackson's work
0: kind of the same vibe yeah yeah. Uh, and, when, and I can't imagine that. I mean, I, it seems like if even if um, uh, any given author uh, of horror fiction today hasn't read Shirley Jackson, they read people who were influenced by her. It seems yeah. like just yeah. with her prominence on the literary scene, that would be hard to not be influenced by her.
1: Well, you never know. Because, I mean, I assume that everybody has heard of her. Yeah. In and outside of literature. Okay. Yeah. I just assumed everyone... We were all made to read The Lottery when we were kids, right? I mean, a certain age. It's
0: one of the most reprinted short stories, right?
1: So I assume that everyone has heard of Shirley Jackson and knows at least of The Lottery and The Haunting of Hill House, which was made into multiple movies. Okay. Yes. Yes. I recently met up with an old friend of mine who's not in the field and mentioned I was doing this book. And he had no idea. He told I don't. I still can't believe it. He told me he didn't know Shirley Jackson I was no. He never read The Lottery. I said how? And he went to um, an Ivy League college. I oh wow. The name of which one? Brown, I think. And I said how could you not have heard of Shirley Jackson? You never heard of The Haunting of Hill House, the mo- or The Haunting the movie. You never read The Lottery. And he claims no. And I said I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, I, just, I mean seriously i don't believe him and he was yes. going to visit some friends upstate i said ask them if they nice. if, if they don't know who she is and i'll eat my proverbial half <laughs> but i just don't believe it so what nice. do i know you know so I was like you don't know who's influenced by other writers
0: yeah you know? yeah absolutely and um, i
1: think being in and, and just, just an aside being no. in in the literary field we assume that everyone out there who does, oops, I just hit my lamp <laughs> who doesn't, who isn't in genre is still aware. Some people never read Stephen King yeah. and I can't mm-hmm. believe no one people have not heard of him though. I right. would be shocked if people hadn't heard of him, yeah. but there are writers who we think of as prominent and well-known in our field who other people who don't read have never heard of them
0: mm-hmm. yeah. because it, read at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it does seem, well, Stephen King's a good example because of his prominence in so many forms of popular and movie, culture,
1: Right,
0: sure. the, the yeah. movies in particular, but also comic books and audio books and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's uh, nonfiction as well. Um, uh, he's uh, so well represented, um, but Shirley Jackson also just seems like, yeah, a pretty, pretty pervasive not that's that's doesn't <laughs> sound right, but you know she's a she's just, it seems like her um her legacy is just so strong. Um Well, this volume is a tribute anthology, and right on the cover it says these are stories inspired by Shirley Jackson. Tell me what what does that inspired by mean to you? Is it is it pastiche? Is it something oh, else? not
1: pastiche. No, I hate pastiches.
0: Tell tell me oh, what well, first Well, first tell us what pastiche is, and then the
1: pastiche is to me it's a slavishly. It, um imitating a writer that's mm-hmm. what a pastiche is and not coming up with anything new but just using yeah. their all their tropes all their language and everything you know there are lots of lovecraft lovecraftian pastiches
2: mm-hmm. i
1: have edited two original or well, three <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh lovecraftian anthologies that are influenced by lovecraft but are not pastiches you know i do not I don't like pastiches, I have no interest in them. Um, When I do an anthology like this, I want to to push the writers to tell me, to write something that they think gives the flavor of Jackson, for example, Mm -hmm. either in tone or in characterization. Um, A lot of her work was about domesticity and Mm -hmm. took place around families. And some of them are, a lot of the work is from small towns. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, you know, the, when I got people to write, uh, they're basically was wide open to how they want to approach it. You know, and I did a Poe anthology. And for that, I didn't, I wanted to make sure I had enough variety. So Mm -hmm. I actually told people to tell me what, what exactly from Poe are you being influenced by? What story, what poem, so i didn't get i mean i did get three house of usher stories but they were very different uh, master the red death but they were totally different from each yes, other and yes. I knew they would do the writers and i didn't have to do that with jackson i mean because her stories aren't that well known except for the lottery really yeah, the, the yeah. Individual so it's not like i said oh so what story are you going to take on because i don't it's not what i wanted and so i got an interesting collection of stories an anthology of stories um that about domestic relationships, about small town hate, <laughs> yeah, um, about monstrousness among normal people.
0: Mm. Well, one thing that struck me was uh, just her obsession with place, especially mm-hmm. with houses. Um, she yes. describes the, you know, the lot description of of the of the place where she is, whether it's whether it's the small town or especially the the inside of the house. Uh, right. As well as the inner world of the protagonist, so I'm kind of I kind of think of her uh, her works as horror of the interior. Um, that makes but, sense. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, tell us about maybe one or two of Shirley's distinct like writing styles or techniques or tropes, and maybe give us an example of how they're reflected in in a story in your collection.
1: Well. Um... Okay, Josh Malaman's story special meal is about a family sitting around a c- table and mm-hmm. something's going on and very quickly you realize that people are not supposed to use math mm-hmm. or num- uh, I don't remember why. I mean I can't remember the what
0: you the never book. find out. You never yeah. know. Okay, you never find you out why. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's so, a, there's one little hint as to why of but uh-huh. yeah, it's very mysterious.
1: Yeah. And I mean that's part of jackson's charm because you usually don't find out why something is happening uh with the lottery you know it's a ritual Mm -hmm. and it's been going on for decades or hundreds of years but there's no reason why yeah and that so this in special meal is kind of like that in the special meal um the children are being tested on their um non-knowledge yes (laughs) And they're non use of math. If they use math, they get taken away and no one knows exactly what happens to them.
0: And they're trying to be yeah. tricked by the investigators who come yes, in. Yes, the investigators
1: yeah. are trying to trick them. It's and a horrific
0: it's, story. I mean, again, it's it's like a, a wonderful story. Dystopia. Yeah. yeah. It's, and very, it, it's, it's it, tense from the very beginning.
1: Yeah. And it feels, it's, to me, it feels very much like a Jackson story. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then there's um, Funeral Birds by yes. Mary Rick, which I started with. Her, that's a very Jackson Jacksonian story about someone who goes to a funeral you know, and goes to funerals and you gradually find out what's going on I and mean, she's
0: a home health care worker like, right yeah. uh, like one of the, one of the most important one of the noblest yeah. uh care you know occupations sure yeah yeah sure. you're caring for people at, at the end of their lives how noble yeah. that is but then yeah. you start getting the sense it doesn't That's take a, too long yeah, yeah. This, but
1: I mean, like, it starts off you don't even know who she is. You know, she's going to a funeral, and that, she can, yeah. and then you find out. Okay, she was caring for this woman. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And that to me, and in the description, I mean, you asked me if I wanted to read a few something from. Uh,
0: yeah, letter. a short passage. I from, mean, just to
1: tie, I would just like to read just the first few lines from that story, the, the, the opening, because it just feels like Jackson to me. Okay, I'm just going to read like a couple, few lines. Yes. This is "Funeral Birds" by M. Rickert. Lenore had carefully chosen what to wear, but felt dissatisfied. She always wanted to be a woman who appeared chic and vaguely kick-ass and black, when in fact she looked like a half-plucked crow. She reached back to pull down the difficult zipper then, oh, sorry, then drew, I didn't read this ahead of time. (laughs) Um, She reached back to pull down the difficult zipper, then drew the dress overhead, momentarily trapped, inhaling the unpleasant scent of her body odor until with a gasp, she was free. Her hair risen in static revolt as she spun on her stockinged feet to the closet. Panic rising, she reached for the hibiscus dress. But what would they think about a woman who arrived late to a funeral in luau attire? She chose the periwinkle instead. Nice. I mean, that, except for the kick-ass, I mean, it sounds like Jackson. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which I mean, I, you know, I didn't want—I don't want people to slavishly copy her, and I don't think they did. But it still has that essence of Jackson there
0: and 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 yet yeah, so you don't want them to slavishly uh, you know uh, kind of mimic her but do you think any of the stories in this collection would, would come close enough to her style that they would actually fool somebody who was like a fan but not necessarily a scholar where they know every single thing that she writes um, no. some some uh, anachronisms like cell phones notwithstanding.
1: Right. Um...
0: The funeral birds, I actually thought, just from what, what Jackson and I've read. I assume, yeah, except for close. that
1: one, the kick-ass. I don't think she would say kick-ass. Oh, she also,
0: I think she's playing a uh, Blasting Van Halen in her car when she oh, shows oh, up yeah. outside the church. Yeah, <laughs> when I within, do that, actually, the I think
1: that one is almost the most to me. Yeah. Yeah. And the John Langan a little bit. mm mm-hmm. um, It's the shortest thing I've ever gotten from John. I don't, it's yes. really
0: short. <laughs> yeah, that's called um, uh, Like Living um, Creatures, I think it is.
1: Something like Living Creatures. Yeah, Yeah. something
0: like Living Creatures. Um, Yeah, it's a very strange little short short story. I I need to go back and reread it because I think something's going on that I'm not quite I I see what's going on at the end. That's pretty Mm -hmm. clear, but there are references going on uh, at the beginning uh, between like um, three sisters before their mother um, Mm -hmm. comes out of her room. Uh, Yeah, some interesting uh, apocalyptic visions going on there. So, yeah. Um, Well, um, uh, what do you hope to accomplish with this book?
1: Well, it's the same thing I have hoped to accomplish with every anthology I do. I just hope that people read it and they don't sell. (laughs) (laughs) I I just hope people, I mean, I I mean, secondarily, I mean, I hope it'll make people have people read more Jackson, but that's not why. I mean, I did it because I thought it'd be fun and I love the work and I thought, You know, I've got to get people to, I'm always happy to just be able to acquire, you know, solicit more new stories from people. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Well, you've got a terrific collection, Uh, a terrific collection here. And I've really enjoyed reading through this. Um, uh, So many, I mean, just fantastic authors here. Um, And and some stories that really surprised me. Uh, I was not familiar with Karen Hewler. Her story, Money of the Dead, was just such (laughs) a... um, um, you know, very dark kind of goes into, uh, it's uh, without giving away any. It's like a monkey's paw kind
1: of thing. It's you a monkey's
0: spell. paw. It's it's like, I mean,
1: it's not, but that's, you could compare it to that slightly. It's,
0: it's real similar to that. It's real similar to that, but it's, it takes an interesting kind of, uh, uh, has an interesting evolution at the end. Um, Paul Tremblay with The Party, he has one mm-hmm. called The Party, and it seems very much like uh, a Shirley Jackson story and also has kind of paul's classic um ambiguous ending though i think it's pretty clear what's going on i'm not sure that one of the two main characters really knows what's going on and how much danger i think she's in but uh it's right. uh, it, that's really cool yeah um refinery road by stephen graham jones some really interesting yeah. kind of so, it, w-
1: it wouldn't think that he would do that you know that yeah. he would be it but he did but Stephen can do anything
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh he's terrific but and you know the stories go uh you know most of them are in the supernatural territory there's a lot of ghosts uh mm-hmm. in here but um Carol uh Joyce Carol Oates story take me I am free uh, is uh, there's nothing supernatural in that that I found oh, it's, just, it's just, a, just a real
1: bummer it's just really sad and tragic and horrible <laughs> it, it, it
0: is and it's about well it's just like what you said we like to think of ourselves as generally being good people but here you've got Apparent child relationship and it's um, it's a really you know people are terrible to each other. Is this point of that? But yeah, it's a it's a terribly terribly sad story. Um, yeah. and I mean, then I see that they not
1: all the stories are horror by any means, but some a couple are really horrific. Like the most horrific to me is the Laird Baron. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of Laird's creepiest story in ages. <laughs> I
0: my response to that, and I'm like the world's biggest Laird Baron fan. Um, my response to that story was, huh hmm oh well that doesn't we seem again. right we and then again. at the end and then at the end it was like oh oh no yeah, right. no it actually yeah. made me think I might have nightmare I, I never worried about reading <laughs> a scary story and having nightmares I thought I might have one after this um no it's really it is very creepy it does remind me a lot of in a um, um in a canyon in a cavern it's that sort mm-hmm. of just like um, you know, gradual, it's, it's, you know. Uh, and
1: gradual unfolding of the truth, which is hideous.
0: Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, but the final image really was just like, oh, oh no, that's, that's my, it was a, a jaw dropping kind of moment for me. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really creepy. He did a terrific job with that. Well, um, I uh, went out on Reddit and I asked some, uh, some folks out there in the, the horror and weird lit space if they had questions for celebrated anthologist Ellen Datlow. And here is, here we got a bunch of questions, actually. Here's some questions from the Cathonica listener mailbag. Me Again uh, writes, uh, about anthologizing here, a few questions about that. He, uh, he or she writes, I'm curious about the process of creating an anthology. It may be hard to generalize, but how long does it take? Does the publisher look for someone to edit an anthology for some niche or do you, do you an anthologist pitch ideas to the publishers? And then what's the ratio of stories that are considered to those that are actually selected? Any thoughts on that?
1: Okay, first of all, some most anthologies I pitch You pitch to the publisher. Um, It depends on the kind of anthology it is. Like the reprint anthology that do with Tachyon, Jacob Weissman, who's a publisher, and I discuss what might be a good theme. But that's wholly different than original anthologies. It's more, I know he always wants something pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And so we have to figure out, okay, what do you think is broad enough? And am I interested in it? Because the thing about how long does an anthology take? Yes. From the time of when you pitch it to the time it comes out is at least two years at least because even, you need, even
0: for an annual oh, serial well,
1: for sorry for a reprint anthology it doesn't have to be as long okay. but for an original one it does because you have to wait for the stories to come in
0: yeah yeah
1: right, for a reprint anthology it probably doesn't take that long <laughs> um, although I still have to go through for the ones I do for Tachyon it's like I have to go out and think about possible stories and then go contact a bunch of writers and say, would you have a story in this theme that I might like, you know, send me a few blah, blah, blah. But for an original anthology, before I sell it, um, I'll go to some, if I have an idea that I really like, I may go to some authors
2: mm-hmm. and say,
1: if I do this anthology, are you interested? Yes. Cause that way I can give, um, a, some names to the publisher and say, I think I can get these people. You can't yes. guarantee anyone because, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. Uh, and the one person I don't try not to do that with anymore is Joyce Carol. Oates. it's because if I ask her for a story, for a theme, she'll write it immediately. And I haven't, <laughs> I haven't sold it yet. And then, you know, yes. at least once I couldn't sell it. And she, I said, you might, I can't do anything with it. You know, don't, yes. I don't want to hold it up anymore Just sell it someplace
2: else.
1: Yes. So someone like that, who is either, yes, I'm in, I like that idea. I'm going to do it right now. It's like, don't do it. You know, wow. so I don't ask her right away. Yes. <laughs> um, but once, if I pitch the anthology or my, it depends on whether I know the publisher or not. Um, I might do it personally or else on my agent, will send it out. And um, once they say, Yeah, I like that, sometimes I'll say, Well, we need a certain number of best selling writers, blah, yes. blah, blah. And I'll say, Well, I think I can get these people, but that's it. And, uh, but by the time I sa- we sign a contract, then I have to contact the writers who I'm interested in. And I'll say, okay, here's the theme. Here's the guidelines. This is what I'm paying. I, I don't want anything longer than this. Um, I don't want this kind of story or I do want kind of, this kind of story. <laughs> and you have until, you have like nine months to write it or mm-hmm. a year or whatever it is, or eight months, but no less than that. Yeah. And then periodically, I will go back to them and say, how's it coming? I have to say the one anthology that I am just finished which is a monster anthology and very large for night fire was one of the hardest ones i've ever done because huh. i don't know what happened if people just got burned out but a lot of people mm-hmm. will i mean everyone the last i didn't get the last five or six stories until like two weeks before the book was due which wow. was bad well not that many but at least three or four that i was counting on
0: was that a pandemic uh, related effect you think oh no
1: i don't yeah. know you know just whatever stress, maybe. Yes. I don't yes. know. <laughs> Uh, But the thing is, I'll get the stories in and I will. I solicit stories from writers who I work with usually or writers who I think might be interested and might be interesting to try to get into a book. Yes. Uh, I don't have open markets generally, so I don't get like a lot of submissions from people who I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll read the stories and I will know some Editors, I guess, wait until all the stories come in to make decisions. I don't do that. I buy stories as I like them, as as they come in. Either I buy them or reject them. Um, Some I'll get asked for rewrites. And I won't commit to buying it until I get the rewrites, depending on how much rewriting it needs. And then even when I accept everything, then I go back and I do a line right a few months before I try to do it. This was, this was what happened like the last week before my book was due, which was due mm-hmm. September 1st. I was line editing three stories, including oh, wow. Bella because, um, well, I just, you know, because they were late. Yes. <laughs> so, I actually, what I do is the line edit is something that I do. I try to, I try to do in the order of when I buy the stories So mm-hmm. it, The oldest stories get line edited first because that gives me a fresh eye almost if I haven't seen the story for like eight months. right. Yes. So I'll start with the ones I bought first and go and line edit. And the line edit is just a very, very focused line by line edit, which can be extensive, Mm -hmm. Um, usually a lot of little things Mm -hmm. and that I do for every story so is that line
0: edit the same thing as proofreading or is that a different No, not at
1: all no proofreading has nothing to do with editing Mm -hmm. um i mean it's going over proofs i mean it's looking to see proofreading was originally meant to you go over the proofs to compare it to the original Ah, but i don't know how i don't know how proofreading is done now it's maybe different and it's different from copy editing line editing can include some copy edits um you know if i catch something i will Point it out if I catch if yeah. I catch misspellings I just fix them the, yeah. uh, if they're obvious I mean punctuation I'll probably tell the author depending on how sensitive they are to certain things yes um, but I may ask people to say you know too many commas here can you put in a more of a pause either a semicolon or a dash yes
2: yeah.
1: or or that's when I also find notice that people are using words or phrases in their story and I said take out the hundred that's in here. Yeah. Still's the just, the that's, the buts, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever. Once, because once I see it, I can't unsee it and they just jump out at me. And then you can look on the computer say, oh yeah, there are 50 buts here in 20 pages, get rid of half of them if you can. Wow. But I also want, you know, I said, you have to show me everything you've done. I want it either in red or in track changes, because I need to see everything. You know, used to have paper. You could compare things. line by line but with computer it just doesn't line up it's a pain in the ass (laughs) so I have to to see which and no matter how many times I tell my authors and how many times I've worked with them some of them still don't do what I asked them to do I said you didn't mark what you changed I have no idea what you took out Hmm. you know thanks a lot (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I put in, in bid type, I say, you know, I need to see what you've done, whether you're taking something out or adding it. I don't care. I want to see the cross outs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they still don't pay it. Some of them don't. Yeah. You know.
0: So it sounds uh, like anyway. over, overall, though, the, the process of editing is there's the, there's the selection procurement um, process at the beginning. Hey, this is a good story. This is going to fit the theme. This is quality enough. Yeah, and then we, into... still edit,
1: but we still need to work on it, but we need some yeah. work on it before yeah. I buy it. Or even... Um, yeah, I mean, I'll usually have questions. I mean, some stories are very clean. I mean, it's very seldom. I don't think there, like, in my whole career, I think I've come across maybe three stories, my entire career, that didn't need any editing. Wow. Anyway, and that's you know, but I, but you expect, you know, I don't. That's a shock. Yes. Because it's yes. very unusual that an author is like everything is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that answered the whole Oh, thing.
0: it answered that question. Uh, I, I, part of uh, me again's question also was uh, what ratio of stories are considered to, you oh. know. Ver- well, that doesn't <laughs> happen that much.
1: Well, it's, unless they do a reprint anthology, mm-hmm. you know, it's irrelevant because I don't.
0: Right. You're Although literally you try- going out I, and commissioning I stories. Well,
1: yeah, but I do. Well, not exactly commissioning because I'm not required to buy them. If you're actually okay. commissioning something, you'd usually have to pay a kill fee. Yeah, I'm soliciting them. And yeah. it's on the understanding that I may not take the story. I turned down a few stories for whatever reason. They didn't work or, or they didn't work for the anthology. Um, and then there's, I, I usually ask about a third more than I need for the, originally because people drop out. You know, that just happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Um well, have you, and this is a question from Trashboat77, have you just decided to include one or more extra stories despite an initial hard number that you knew? You're going to do 10 stories in an anthology. Once in a
1: while. I mean, very seldom. I mean, I know how much my word, it goes by wordage, not how many stories. At least I go by wordage. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this anthology is supposed to be 120,000 words or whatever. Gotcha, yeah. If, you know, I really want, I may, um, with this, an anthology that Terry Winling and I did, and I think it was Queen Victoria's Book of Spells. A few stories came in late and they were really, really good, but we couldn't take them. There mm. just was no room mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. came in too late.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was sad because we really did. We would have taken a couple of them if we yeah. could have. Um, usually, I mean, once in a while, you know, I was like, I'll have everything done. Actually, it happens more in the year's best because I'm constantly reading that until I hand in the book. Yeah. So every once in a while, I'll find a last minute story that I really love. And I'll say, it's like I, I'm putting this in, I'm putting this in, I'm squeezing this in. <laughs> you know, but um, other than that, no, not really. I mean, as long as people get their stories in on time.
0: <laughs> but Trashboat77 also asks, do you have a favorite among the many collections and anthologies you've edited?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had some favorites, Fearful Symmetries. I love my non- theme anthologies. I love the dark. I enjoyed, I really love doing supernatural noir. I would actually mm-hmm. like to do another one. Um, Poe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I have some favorites.
0: Cool. Very good. Um, Sarnath asks, how do you approach the inclusion of up and coming authors, those lesser known writers when you create an anthology?
1: Well, because I read for the year's best every year, and I've been doing it for 30 I don't know how many uh, (laughs) 30 years or so I have my antenna does kind of see what's going on in the field and who's new and who is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I may contact some of those people once in a while for an, an original anthology I'm doing, it's more likely to get into a reprint anthology because I'll be aware of the story and I'll say, okay, I really like that story by that person. I think I can take this from my reprint anthology. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I may say, okay, I'd like to see a story from you and either I will take it or I will not. Mm-hmm.
0: You know? But it's not like a some kind of percentage, like we've got to have 50% no. well-known no. authors no. and then the rest.
1: No, and I don't, what's really interesting to me over time Um, When I started doing The Year's Best, I published very few women writers. Hmm. Um, They just weren't that many compared to the male writers in horror Mm -hmm. in 1987 or whenever I started doing it. And over time, it's changed. The percentage changed. And it's almost parody now. Um, But what really interested me, and the thing is when I'm soliciting for an original anthology... I don't actually con I don't at all consciously think about it. Yes. I mean, I know I have my favorite writers, I'll say I'll oh, yell yeah, please write for me. But it turns out that the one I just finished, the monster anthology, I think it's actually half and half, exactly. Huh. It can't be. I think it's 29 stories. So I think it's like half one more male than female, but it's like shocking to me because I did not plan it that way. And I'm really interesting.
0: That interesting. Way. Yes.
1: So I'm glad my subconscious is working better than my conscious. <laughs>
0: Vanilla Bear Eleven asks: Is there a formula for determining the order of stories as as they're placed in an anthology?
1: Mostly just to begin the first and last. Um, The first one, you try to do one that's easily accessible to the reader Mm. that invites them into the anthology. That is not a too weird, not too weird, not too complicated, not a weird structure. That will invite. That will kind of give them an idea of what the anthology is about. Yes, it should be strong. It may not be what you consider the strongest story, but it's a strong story, and it it attracts the reader. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the last story is usually what you think is the strongest story and or the longest story. Huh. Not always, but usually the longest story will go last, um, or will go next to last because maybe you'll have the longest story next to last, and then you'll have what i call like a grace note of a a popping a little a shorter story that's really strong, pops um and the rest of it is less important but what i find is the longer my anthologies are the harder it is to juggle the order yes now usually i have like 20 stories in a regular anthology When I have more than that, it becomes more difficult. Like with monsters, I had twenty-nine, and it becomes really, really difficult. Partly because I can't remember all the stories, without looking at the beginning of them, or you know. And what I'm trying to do is put them in an order of type of story, as far as tone Mm -hmm. and length. And maybe point of view, like I just at the last minute, I had posted my table of contents for the monster anthology. Mm -hmm. And then I realized when I was putting, I I created the whole, I created the table of contents, moved everything around. And then I had to put everything in a full manuscript file. I mean, I put it, I put it all in one file. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that, I realized that two stories that had next to each other, even though the most of the story, the stories were totally different, but the endings felt too similar
0: interesting
2: I,
1: and suddenly I said oh shit Oops,
2: yeah <laughs> That's I funny. have to move
1: my story and I yes. did I moved it farther away and so then I changed the table of contents you know but at, what I had announced was one thing and I said oh boy I, ch- I just moved this
2: <laughs> yes yes. <laughs> it yes.
1: just didn't feel right you know it just felt like oh these are, the endings are too similar even though the rest of the story is not
0: interesting and
1: so yeah so there are a whole bit of these things to juggle um, if you have really weird stories you put them later so, people are used to what they're are used to the book. Right. And then they may not be freaked out by something really weird. They may hate it also. But and,
0: and, and when you say weird, do you mean like the content is just like, oh my gosh, this image the guys come be, up it, with? It can
1: be that or the structure or, or whatever. the structure.
0: Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, like,
1: Livia Llewellyn has twice sent me stories that have odd structure. Yes. With like, because they're both Cthulhu stories, kind of, and they yeah. have just odd structure, right? And one was, um, I forget which anthology it was, but I put that—that that was one that I definitely put someplace in the middle, or put farther enough back so that people weren't, hopefully, were used to reading. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm guessing Alakthon in the rest no, of the best horror. No,
1: no, no, it was an original, it? No, no, it was an original. Story. Oh, okay. And, and, um a uh, crown of something i think
0: right um, crown I, of joy
1: yeah i think yeah. maybe and i can't remember what anthology of mine that was in i think that was it but anyway the current one the one that she was like la- i shouldn't say she was last this time i <laughs> mean in the sense that she came her story came in last yes but that's okay she did it and anyway but it i'm, also, I'm
0: so excited uh, that but it also it had a, a very Livia weird story and it
1: has this weird structure where someone's like having um, what do you call it? Oh, stream of consciousness and all this yes. stuff. Yes. So you can't put that at the beginning because right. you just read her completely. I and I, uh, I don't remember where I put it, but I'm sure I put it someplace <laughs> later on.
0: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: So you know, so there are a whole bunch of things you consider when you're doing it.
0: Yeah. So let um, people it sounds so like you know,
1: what you cannot consider is that people read your anthology in whatever order they feel like. That's true. You, because you can't do that. I mean, as an editor, I have to assume they're gonna read it front to back. Yes, but They that's their thing.
0: <laughs> yes, well, I try to do that because I it's like listening to an album, right? Uh, I, well,
1: know. it isn't though. I mean, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, when people say, "Oh, I love the order of these stories," to me, it's partially throwing them up like fifty to pick up.
0: Wow, wow. I mean, it's
1: like it's the juggling. It's like, oh, I'm glad to think so. I yes, I tried, but I don't know what I was doing. Yes. Like, you know. <laughs> You know, I'm no, glad it. I'm that it worked. I'm glad that it worked. That's all I can absolutely.
0: say. Absolutely. It does make sense though, though, Like maybe you if you have something that's extremely intense, you want something maybe a little bit lighter next to to absolutely. alleviate some yeah. of the so tension. One,
1: and yes, I tried to do that. Okay, I have, these stories are really depressing. And they're both about children dying. Yeah. So I yes. want near each other, you know, they're very yes. different stories, but they need to be moved around. And then you yeah. need something with more energy here and like calmer here. So yeah, it's um it's something you just figure out as you're doing it.
0: Yes. Um uh MP- next question, MpG asks, have you ever had a publisher turn down a story you selected for being too long, too graphic, etc.
1: Um I had one bad experience with a publisher. Terry and I did a book that was a YA book mm-hmm. that was bought by the head of the company or the head publisher or whatever and handed to one of the editors to edit when we handed it in. Unfortunately, that editor left and we were given to a junior editor who obviously had never edited an anthology before and knew nothing mm. about what we were doing. Didn't know anything about short stories. Wow. And he proceeded to say, you should cut this story. This is I don't understand this story. Why is it here? You should rewrite this. And basically... We got our agent to read in the Riot Act. We said, Well, just pulling the anthology. We're not doing wow. it.
2: Wow. We're not
1: we want we're not doing this. Yeah. And so our agent read the <clears throat> they published the Riot Act and they backed down. Huh. So, I mean, well, you know, yeah. I mean, it if you're hiring me and Terry, mm-hmm. who have 50 years between us, maybe yes. edit, you either trust us or you don't hire us to do it.
2: Yes. That's yeah. what
1: we do. This is our living. Yeah. You know? And I would not accept that from anybody I mean now I will accept if someone um the first story now I have my idea what a first story should be and Mm -hmm. at one point um one of my editors thought that that story shouldn't be first Mm -hmm. and so I didn't and we decided another one and that was okay I understood why and it was all right I agreed that's fine um another time someone wanted A story first because it was a big name i said that's Mm -hmm. a really stupid reason to put the story first no no, and that story doesn't belong first
0: this the the name can still be on the cover and the story not i mean it's just like no
1: that story is not a first story
0: wow Wow. it's like
1: someone i don't remember i remember the author but i don't remember the the anthology or who the editor was but they just kind of missed the whole point of editing anthologies yeah
0: yes yes all right um uh,
1: actually oh once i'm notoriously bad at counting number well now that you have word counts for you <laughs> yeah I mean, you go by that and that's the way it goes but when you had to do it you know 500 words per but when i did that i was so bad at it and i remember um for one of the years best i took the ballad of uh i the can't Peter
0: straub the, yeah the, the, the ballad, ballad of ballard and sandrine, and
1: sandrine ballard or sandrine yeah because yeah an enormous novella yeah. that I discounted
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: as much shorter, as shorter than it was. Yeah. And I said, I'm taking that. And then it turned out it was so big. <clears throat> I actually had to cut out two other stories.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: wow. I was, one was by someone I didn't know. It was foreign. It was no big deal. I, had, I don't yeah. think I had bought it yet. And the other one was, I have to say is Dallas mayor, Jack Ketchum. And he was darling about it. He was oh. so about it. And I like, I was, and I couldn't believe I fucked up so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. And he was great. I mean, we were friends, you know, all along. Until wow. we died. Um, so yeah. I was like, oh, my God, what did I do?
0: But, but don't I they hire another... you for the words, not the numbers? I mean, isn't that yeah, like always no, the division?
1: No, if the book is too big, it's, it's going to cost more.
0: Yes, yes. You
1: no, know, I mean, you know, they the, I had an assignment to do a book at a certain length. And yes, you can go over a little bit. Yeah, but because I miscounted, it was a lot. <laughs> wow!
0: Wow! Yeah. yeah, that was a horrifying story. Very, very disturbing. A great story. Oh. Very yeah. Well. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, Absolutely. That,
1: that book is that the one that has a Stephen King in it too? Because that book has sold the best of any of my year's best. I think it kept it sold but, a lot.
0: The the best of the best one.
1: No! 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 it wasn't in there was it, it oh yeah the best i reprinted it in there really you did
0: the ballad of ballard and oh, sandrine okay. yes. well i was able
1: to fit it in there but it was originally yeah. in one of my best of the year I
0: oh gotcha four, yeah. I
1: think. so yeah no i was able to fit it in there cool problems. Like, oh, it's, a, it's
0: absolutely just creepy um uh okay next question birds books birds books asks when you commission stories for a collection, how often do you have to reject what the authors submit and how do those conversations go?
1: Well, we're talking about I solicit stories and mm-hmm. um, I would say that usually when I turn down a story, the author knows that that they're it's, it's going to be, I have found mm-hmm. that they know that it wasn't quite on the right track. Okay. So it's not a shock. At least I yeah. don't the best shock to me yes yes um, it doesn't happen very often because i acquire from i solicit from writers who i know i'm pretty sure i can count on yes and um which is why i do that you know um and you just hope that they work out and if it doesn't then you have to tell the writer that no, it doesn't quite work it's wrong mm. for the anthology or mm. Uh, or yes, it's too. Uh, it's like now that I have one hundred and fifty thousand words. Yes, another twenty thousand word is not going to work.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean,
1: I, you know, John Langan is always late and always long, but he wasn't late this time. But he was long. It's twenty-one thousand words. Or 20, oh wow!
0: For the monster anthology.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh wow! Yeah.
1: Called, um, "Screams from the Dark." Yes.
0: Yes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up at the at the end as well. Um. So let's talk a little bit more about just kind of the the weird work of working with writers of the weird. Um, uh, Alatoric consonants asks: Have you ever done the equivalent of rejecting the unknown J.K. Rowling with her Harry Potter manuscript? Um, you ever ever had a, a yeah one that you've turned down that you regret later?
1: There are stories that I've turned down that I wasn't because I couldn't buy them because I wasn't allowed to for whatever reason, like yeah. um, because either I had too much inventory or the mm-hmm. re- my boss was not letting me buy certain things and and I that's when I said letting go of things that you can't buy you have yeah. to just get past it yeah. you can't let it say I'm going to quit unless you let me do this yeah. unless you don't care about your job yes <laughs> and that's right um, <clears throat> uh, there are stories I turned down that won awards that I thought sucked when I turned them down and I thought they sucked when they won the award
0: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, right. yeah.
1: no, so I don't. Um, there are no, you know, I mean, there are no stories I turned down that I regret turning down because I didn't like them. It's mm. because I couldn't take them for whatever reason.
0: Understood. Understood. Uh, uh, Alatoric Consonants also asks, what scares you? Politics. Okay. No, I,
1: like, I mean, nothing. Actually, stories don't stick, you know, reading yeah. doesn't usually scare me. Mm-hmm real life does. Yes. <laughs> I say that often and it's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I th- you certainly see some of that reflected in um, Shirley Jackson's work. Um, so uh, let me see. Uh, Crenessi asks, who would you like to see write a horror short story that doesn't normally write horror?
1: The people who have gotten ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure there are other people. I mean, I've worked with a lot of writers, either reprint or original, of writers who I you know, didn't think wrote horror. Yeah. Who, have, who do, occasionally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't think of anyone offhand. Okay. okay. Because um, if they don't write horror, they don't write horror, and you can't yeah. make them write horror.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So either I'm aware of them and they do write horror already, and maybe are not considered horror writers, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, like Don Chown. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I, put story, I mean, he's published two horror stories that I adore and I've reprinted both of them and I've tried to get him to write. I, might, I think I tried to get him to write for the Jackson Anthology. I can't remember which one, but he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So there are writers who do occasionally write horror who I try to get and you know, sometimes we can't, mm.
0: whatever. Mm. Um, Wabi Sabi asks, without naming names, what's your worst experience with a writer while doing an anthology?
1: Just that they don't pay attention to what I asked them to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um that's you know, I love working with the writers. I I can't think of a bad experience.
0: Wow. Uh that's awesome. That's great to hear. I mean, if
1: I bought this story, I mean when I I mean I've had writers when I was an Omni, I've had writers over the years reject my rejections who re- wrote really nasty notes and re- oh. response to a rejection, but that's different because they yeah. yeah but no yeah. Um, it's just you know annoying when they don't follow directions yeah you know? yeah
0: <laughs> develop like develop something that's not what you're asking for
1: no that's not no i mean not paying attention to when i ask for certain edits oh no that was something else oh no, gotcha not, yeah no that would that's the worst experience when i have people um not listen to what i'm telling them to do yeah or or late, I mean, are not sending me back edits in time. Yes. Um, and I know it's probably, you know, personal stuff going on in their life. So I try to be nice while I nag them. <laughs> yes, that's
0: right. That's right. Um, let's see, uh, turning to like themes and trends within horror, the horror genre. Uh Sikorexis asks, what growing trends have you noticed in the horror, weird, dark literary field in the past few years? And what, if any, aspects of horror do you feel have become less popular that you'd like to see come back?
1: Well, the thing I've noticed most is the, um, the expansion of culture of writers from different cultures writing in English Mm -hmm. and submitting work. And I appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to become more aware of some of those writers um, Because, you know, I mean, the thing is, once you start publishing someone, they always want to be in your anthologies. And it's like, you know, I only have 20 slots and I can't use you in everything. Yes. And I do want to use new people. I mean, I would like to get new people um, into either on magazine, I'm editing, or an anthology. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think to me that the international aspect of horror is expanding. Mm -hmm. and I like that a lot as far as what's I mean for me it's the opposite it's not like it's not like well what do I see that I want to come back it's what I can't stand
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I'll take I'll take that I would love to hear about that I
1: I can't stand I'm so sick of I'm so sick of like certain tropes of you know although sometimes they work I mean like at one point I said, I hate zombie stories. I never want to see a zombie story. Mm -hmm. And then you get brilliant zombie stories. Okay. Yeah. And then there's this, the trope where the couple are on the outs where nothing's going right. And then they go someplace on vacation and something's out to kill them both. Yeah. I mean, and that's a very English trope Hmm. and, but there's still brilliant stories done like that. It depends on what's going on, but I get really tired of the domesticity. It's like, Oh God, I don't care about your stupid arguments. (laughs) You know, either get on with the horror and stop being idiots, yes. you know, and getting into trouble because you're idiots. <laughs> um, I mean, there's no problem. I'm not talking about just conflict between characters, you know, between a couple or something. But I'm talking about, oh, yeah, we're about to get divorced, but let's go on a happy vacation and like, oh, and then the guy does something really stupid, you know, like killing the wrong person or thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but that's not... that's not i'm not even sure i could call that a sub-genre of horror you know? yeah yeah um,
0: the the bad the bad relationship bad decisions subgenre and the bad
1: place you know the house of oh, going to a house that's going to eat you up
0: yes yeah i
1: mean yes i mean on the other hand you know in the jackson anthology i've got at least one story like that mm-hmm. that i love yeah you know it totally depends on the story telling on yes. how story is told anything can be made fresh again with the point of view the action the characters and what they do and how they react to what's going
2: mm-hmm. on yep. you know, So
1: nothing you know i know i realize i like a certain kind of story um i'm not sure why yeah like i like stories that take place in the arctic or antarctic
2: interesting I mean, not
1: only, yeah i mean I'm, i know I, I realize i'm yeah i really like have a story like that in my in my year's best
0: yes yes
1: there are some good ones
0: you had that um uh, this was uh, in The Best of the Best, the um, story, Better You Believe, by Carol oh, Johnstone. that's great.
1: That's gorgeous. Um, yeah. And
0: that was a great story to end the anthology on, but that was uh, that was crazy good uh, because it, yeah. it, it, is, it is a good adventure story, a kind of suspenseful, thrilling story. And, and you don't
1: expect, I mean, I think you don't expect the ending. I know no. I did
0: I did not, and it and it's it was a one of those things that I, I do love about horror stories is there is some sort of a yeah there's like this thrill this this reveal at the end that yeah you should have seen that coming all along oh let me go back now and then, I yeah see. you read it,
1: reread now it now I
0: see the clues oh you were God. giving me but
1: yeah I mean yes. but that's really delicate
0: yes. I mean most yes.
1: writers can it's very hard to pull that off successfully yeah and not through it, not put in too much and not you know make it obvious Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um let's see angry bread asks of all the themes you've based anthologies on is there one you're especially interested in uh or any you'd like to do that you haven't had a chance to do in terms of themes yeah lots yeah
1: (laughs) i would like to do another supernatural noir one i love Mm -hmm. doing that i really want to do another one uh, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm trying to sell a couple of anthologies now that I just finished the monster one. I'd like to do some new ones. Um, the one I talk about that I'll probably never do because I can't seem, i can't, no publisher seems interested. The Book of Shoes.
0: <laughs> the, the, a book, a horror book about shoes?
1: No, a mixed genre of shoes.
0: About shoes. shoes
1: horseshoes, um, boots, uh, uh foot binding you know anything to do with shoes but you know I, I, I haven't been able to get a, a no publisher really is interested okay <laughs> so maybe there's, some i mean i don't care that much in, but it would be fun
0: there's got to be some angle there and somewhere. even some
1: non-fiction stuff and i would like to get yeah. some mainstream people i mean it just seems very wide open for fun y-
0: yes we, we ha- i can't think of a single shoe based anthology so um, angry bread, yeah. I hope that answers your question. That's, that is yeah. definitely a good one. Okay, uh, let's, let's uh, close out with a couple of questions, just uh, career advice. Space Ape asks, what advice do you have for people pursuing a career in editing? And what did your career path look like? We've talked about your career some, but if you had any additional thoughts on that about your own career, I'd love to hear that. But, but well, specifically, problem, a, well, a career in editing.
1: Like- well, the problem with my career is that I was doing it starting in the seventies, mm-hmm. so my career path is like no one else's, and it's not going to be like anyone else's now. Yeah. So I, so I can only give limited advice, but it would not hurt to be a reader for a slush pile, mm-hmm. for volunteer for magazine if you want to do short fiction editing. There aren't that many positions open. Some people start their own magazines to do that, um, <clears throat> but it's really hard to get a foot in the door because there just aren't that many jobs, you know? Yes. So this person, when they talk about short fiction or novels, they say, no, they, uh, don't, they say. don't
0: say, but I, I would assume short fiction with, since within the uh, the context of an anthology discussion.
1: Yeah. Well, um, read a lot, uh, you know, they I said, read, see if you can, even if you just volunteer or get paid very little, see if you can read for a magazine or a webzine that, except slush, and that um, mm-hmm. may need a reader. Yes. I mean, that's the start. <clears throat> Other than that, it's really hard for me to say. I mean,
0: and what what is, the, for those who are just not familiar with the industry, what is the job of the slush reader?
1: Oh, you read everything that comes in that's not by a, a person, who a writer who you might have heard of or mm-hmm. from an agent, although short fiction doesn't even come from an agent. Mm-hmm. So it's anything that comes. It used to be called Over the Transom. A transom used to be, I had in my old apartment, actually, still a glass thing that would open and then people threw the manuscripts through the top, <laughs> I think.
0: Like a pneumatic tube?
1: No, a window.
0: Oh, a window, window gotcha. Door,
1: okay? yeah. And I had those in my old apartment, except they were glued shut. They were pasted shut from paint. You know? Yes. And I believe that. So this was over the transom, they were called. And I don't know wow. why... It, I know why. I mean, I I don't know when it started being called slush pile or slush. Yeah. It's the stuff that comes in that you don't expect to be any good because it's not from anyone who's been published, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it gives you a good feel for what's out there Mm -hmm. and it can give you a good feel for what mistakes people make. And it can, um, you can soon say, this is really good, even though it's in slush. This is really interesting. Yes. Um, So that's one way to get to do that. And, um, I mean, when I was in book publishing, I read freelance for um, some book publishers in the genre and also for 20th Century Fox. I would re- do reader's reports for manuscripts, but I don't even huh. think they have that job anymore. And for Book of the Month yeah. Club, Science Fiction Book Club, yeah. I would do freelance work reading for them and getting like 25 bucks a manuscript to write up, you know, like huh. suck. Or whatever yeah <laughs> but i don't know if there those jobs even exist anymore that's why yeah. it's like i'm not the person to ask because I, my as i said you know i was starting in mid-75 yes you know, yes and god and, knows what it's like now yeah <laughs>
0: you know? yeah and yeah pu- publishing's just changed um so yeah. much uh, yeah so and i mean
1: there's time. more of it you know because of you know online and, mm-hmm. and websites but i don't know if those venues use readers or I don't know if they use readers and I yeah. don't know if they hire people, you know, to do stuff. I mean, like I, I, you know, when I worked in a company when I worked for Omni, I had an assistant who would read slush and who would do other things that I didn't want to do the <laughs> like that. Yes. But, yeah. I, you know, working at home, I, you know, someone once in a while, someone said, Oh, can I be your assistant? Can I be your intern? I said, no, I don't want you here in my apartment. Yeah.
2: And yeah. yeah
1: <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I do not want you here. In- what I need someone to do is do my spreadsheets for paying out royalties. And oh, I don't yeah. trust anyone to say, you know, some people still require checks, not too many agents yeah. do states do, but as yeah. like, I trust someone to use my PayPal account to pay people. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So,
1: um, so it's different. You know, it's like mm-hmm. now that, I mean, small presses work from home. Um, yeah. What I can say is if you wherever, depending on where you live, if there's a press near you, a publishing house, small one or not, if you wanted to get into book publishing, ask them if they need work, a helper, if they need someone to help out, assistance, I mean, locusts, if you're near California, and, you know, proofread, copy edit. That's mm. how you get your foot in the door of whether it'll get you any place, I don't know. Yeah. But it's the start, you know, and the thing yes. is you have to, when you do copy edit or proofread, you have to pass a test to do that.
0: Yes, yes. Proofread.
1: Or copy edit. and that's one way to to get a foot that was one way to get a foot in the door i don't know if it still is
0: mm. well for for everyone who wants to write horror and get published what are one or two rookie mistakes to avoid and what's maybe one thing that the uh that the writer absolutely should do
1: what should they avoid uh don't dm editors
0: Okay, don't direct message your ed- editors, yes.
1: Oh. <laughs> um, you know, uh, oh, put your contact info on your website. I am uh-huh. sick of looking on blogs and websites uh-huh. and not finding any contact info about from a writer yeah. or any more publisher. I mean, when I've got to see magazines and that's like, you know, yes, even if you do this stupid form, but yeah. have something, you know, it's like really if you want to sell your work let people know where they can reach you yeah <laughs> no <laughs> yes. seriously i make, mean make I it have, easy to
0: uh, contact you, you know, yeah.
1: because if i can't reach someone if I, it makes it hard they're not going to bother you know it's like yeah maybe i'll go through facebook and then dm them mm-hmm. if yeah. i you know or twitter and see oh you know i'll do that with people i don't know with writers who are what better known maybe and see if they'll mm-hmm. if i can't contact them i can't reach them for some reason mm-hmm. um i mean writers who i'm not Friends with or don't know work with, you know. I may try. I at, as a last resort, I may contact them on their Twitter and just in their feed say, "I'm trying to reach you. Please email. Wow, me. <laughs> wow. We're <laughs> nice. here. Or DM me, please." If, if that's usually if I want to use a story for a reprint or something.
0: Yes, yes. Um, but anyway,
1: uh, every writer should have a con have contact information on some place. On yes. you, you don't have. It. Everyone, I guess, needs if not a website, a blog, but on. Mm-hmm. I don't, a lot of blogs don't have contact information. I don't know yeah. why.
0: Oh, I, I mean, think people are afraid of like getting spammed or something, like putting a phone well, number down, but an email well, address even. Well,
1: then do a form on my website. Yeah. I have a form. It comes, I get emails through my form and they mm-hmm. get to me and I can do what I want with them. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like, well, how are you going to get published if people can't reach you? Yeah. Yeah. If someone wants to buy your story, how are they going to do that if they don't know where to find you?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, so some good practical advice from the empress of horror fiction herself, Ellen Datlow. Um, uh, th- thank- this has been a blast talking to you. A lot of good practical advice and just interesting background on, on that process of, of, of delivering horror fiction to people who love those stories. Um, so we are, uh, remember everybody, on September 28th, my fancy titles here, September 28th, uh, is the street date for when things get dark? Stories oh, inspired I'm, by oh, and I'm Julie doing.
1: A, um, and I'm doing. There's going to be a reading, a virtual reading, on September twenty first.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. W- where um, was that? Uh, where it's uh, on have, the
1: same. It's where we do KGB. I mean, online. Yeah. It's through Streamyard and a, a YouTube channel.
0: Yeah, the um, Fantastic think, Fiction channel. Yeah,
1: I mean it. Yeah, it, I okay. think it's that channel that Matt's going to be hosting with me or helping okay. me. Out. Um, We have about eight people going to be reading, I forget who, (laughs) Uh, but a bunch of people going to be reading from the book.
0: Well, and if if you're not already um, doing so, follow Ellen Datlow at Ellen Datlow on Twitter um, so that you can find out things like that special reading event on September 21. You can also find her at datlow.com and there's a good biography and, and list of books that she's worked on. Never
1: up to date, which is never up to date. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know how you stay up to date on that. Uh, but also
1: Facebook, even if you, I mean, I don't, I, even if I don't friend you, um, you can see my, I have my posts are always universal.
0: Yes. So yes. I,
1: I have mentioned the 21st thing event and I will mention it again.
0: Very good. Thank you. And, uh, and so what else do you have uh, besides uh, when things get dark and that reading? What else do you have coming up? You've mentioned Screams body- from the Dark. Well, that um, won't be 22. Yeah.
1: <coughs> That'll be coming out next summer, spring or summer.
0: Spring or summer, okay. So, yeah, uh, Screams in the Dark. or screams. The
1: body Shocks, uh, Screams from the Dark.
0: From the Dark, thank you. Um, and then you've got the Body Horror Anthology coming up.
1: Yes, that's called Body Shocks. It's coming mm-hmm. out from Tachyon October 19th, I believe.
0: Okay, very good.
1: And had a fabi- fabulous review from Locust.
0: Nice. I'm
1: really pleased. Like Cup- to being a big Couple A mm-hmm.
0: couple of, couple of um, uh, authors that we would know who are in the Body Shocks volume.
1: Oh, I can't remember. Oh, God. I don't have a. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Let's see. Let me, I have to find my table of contents.
0: That's sorry. fine. Uh, this, uh, you're working <laughs> on things. Right? Uh, Sandra
1: Claw, you. Angela Slatter, Lisa Hannett, Karen Warren. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, but I can't remember. Uh, Ed Bryant, but he's mm-hmm. dead. So oh. some is Michael Blumline. <clears throat> sorry, Richard Kristen Matheson. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, who else? Lucy Taylor. Mm-hmm.
0: So, good list of that. And you said that was um, uh, October twelve, is that right? I
1: think it's October 19th is coming out. 19th.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, so, be on the lookout for that. Any other anthologies we should be watching or collections? My,
1: no, my best horror number four, 13 will be coming out this year in October.
2: Very good.
1: Or, uh, sorry, November or December. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know, except for the monster one.
0: Yes, uh, yes. I don't
1: anything That's one, And hopefully continuing the best of the year. Yes. But I'm be selling some a couple
0: but i don't know if i will okay very, very good copies. very good so. well um thank you ellen and uh also for next episode of cathonica we've got paul tremblay coming up Oh, cool. uh, Say hi I, paul. <laughs> I will i will we're doing a kind of a fun series where i'm i'm asking some uh, uh contemporary horror writers about um you know stories by other horror writers that have made a big impact on them. Um, sure. John Lankin talked about Kelly Link actually. He, he got me to go out and uh, uh, read through a couple of Kelly Link stories and I read a, a bunch of them after I read those two. Um, but yeah, uh, we talked about um, just, it, yeah, just other horror writers who made a big impact uh, on them. So I'm gonna talk to Paul um, uh, in a couple of weeks about that and post that, so yeah. Um, I assume you
1: read her story When Things Get Dark, yeah.
0: Kelly's. Oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Skindler's Veil is freaky. It's very, it's very, I, I haven't read enough of Shirley Jackson stories to say, oh, it's just like this Shirley Jackson story, but it's very much a Kelly Link story.
1: Well, it, what's interesting is Liz Hand thought it was very much like a John Crowley story.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very, um, she does this thing with recursive, It, I. it's oh, like metafiction. It's like yeah. recursive fiction. It's a, you drill down the story within the story, within the story, kind of like- And she in that always movie comes inception. out
1: the other end. I mean, she yeah. has done amazing structural stuff in some of her stories and they always work out. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: um, the story magic for beginners is just like the the king of all of that. It's, uh, or the queen of all of that, those kinds of stories. It's pretty stunning. Um, yeah, uh, John Langan and I talked about that on the previous Chthonica episode. Uh, it's a pretty astounding work. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to drill down kind of deep into just a couple of stories that that some of our um, uh, favorite uh, you know, top of the genre writers uh, have been impacted by or influenced by. So that's uh, that's it. So anyway, well, thank you, Ellen, so much. It's been great chatting with you.
1: Thank you. I've
2: had a pleasure.